0: Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Never get tired of that, right? Praise God. Um, John Ortberg wrote a book by the name of Faith and Doubt. And uh, I know some of you have even mentioned it to me, some of you have read it before. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors. And John tells a story in in this book about three men that were in an airplane. And and it happened, it was a, a pilot. Uh, a Boy Scout and the smartest man in the world. And uh, this plane apparently developed engine trouble, and the pilot came out and says, I don't know what to tell you, but the plane's going down, and bad news, there's only two parachutes. And uh, without any hesitation, the smartest man in the world made this statement. He said, For the good of our planet, I'm sorry, guys, but I gotta take one of them. And he grabbed and, and he jumped out the door of the plane, he was gone. And with that, the pilot, also without hesitation, turned to the Boy Scout and said, Son, I've lived a good life. I I have no regrets. Uh, Please, you take the last parachute. And with that, the young young man, the Boy Scout, looked at the pilot and says, Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, He grabbed my backpack. (laughs) So goes being the smartest man in the world. Ortberg makes a point, and I want to begin here today. He says this, our world is full of smart people jumping out of planes with backpacks. And yet one of the paradoxes of faith and doubt is that it is the ultimate, for many, the ultimate intellectual challenge. Yet simple and uneducated people may live with great wisdom. Yet often those with PhDs may instead choose folly. And he says one thing's for sure, sooner or later, The plane is going down. What does he mean by that? Check your pulse today. Because if you have one, first of all, that means you're alive. But if you have a pulse, uh, the statistics are pretty strong on this, that the mortality rate is still at 100%. For all of us. And every heartbeat is one beat closer to the day we die. And for a lot of us, that question is, is my parachute Worthy and trustworthy today. What I mean by that is our eternal salvation. What we're banking on that it's all about. And, and, and then you get into those, those grappling mixes of things of, in this world today that the, the mix between faith and doubt and those who, who are all about faith and say, you just got to trust, you just got to believe and, 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 you know, forget the doubts. Don't have any questions. Or, or the other side is, how can you believe in something so foolish? If it's not scientific, if it can't be backed up with data, how could you believe such a foolish thing? And those who may be given to skepticism or doubts. And, and often we're taught that there's really nothing in between. It's either one or the other. I, I mean I remember this, and some of you have heard me share this. Growing up, I, I remember I had a lot of questions. I was the kid in confirmation class that just kept raising my hand. Every time the pastor or the teacher or my Sunday school teachers, even before that, would make points, I'd ask questions. And often those questions came out like this. Why? Everybody's favorite question, right, when you're an adult from a kid. Why? And I would ask it a lot. Or I'd ask the question, how do we know? And I I, I remember clearly many times the way I was answered when I'd ask questions like that was you just have to believe it. And even early on I remember thinking, well but but I don't I I, I want to believe, but I also want to know why and I want to know how we know it's true. Honest answers are honest questions for me, grappling with faith and doubt and things that didn't always make sense to me. I wanted to know. There are, I found there are also people in this world that maybe grow up in the faith or don't grow up in the faith and, and and they come to know Christ and Christ calls them in the gospel and and they just day by day simply believe. And it's because my pastor told me it, it must be true. And or if if this is what everybody believes, it must be true. Therefore I, I just believe it. And and there's a simple trust in that and, and that's a beautiful thing. But I found not everybody's wired that way. I found I wasn't wired that way. And early on, I was kind of shut down in my faith walk with the Lord, saying, okay, there's no room in the church for questions. Maybe you've even counseled somebody as, as a follower of Christ and, and someone's come to you and they're having doubts or questions or struggles in their faith. And, and, and maybe you've said, you just got to believe. And, and one of the things we need to be aware of is, well, while that's true, Sometimes what that can do to someone who is having doubts and fears in their in their faith walk is it, it can shut them down and actually drive a wedge even further in their seeking. Because what it can make them feel like is that they're foolish or that they're ignorant. Or I'd even use the word sometimes if you listen to Christian radio long enough. And the in the face approach that can sometimes come across is that we know Jesus. So everything's wonderful. And we just got to believe all the time. And everything's great. And, and what if it's not great? What if there's some major struggles going on in your heart over issues in this world? You say, well, if God is love, how come this disease is... Is plaguing someone in my family? Or how do we describe so much injustice in the world today? And and that grappling of, well, if God says he's this, and yet this is my experience, those are really real questions. And for us to just say, everything's great because we know Jesus. But can you see how sometimes that can kind of bring sort of hollow to those who are grappling? Guarantee in the room, you're resonating with this because you know you've had doubts, you've had questions, you've had fears. Is the parachute trustworthy or is it just a backpack? I want to answer that question today simply by seeing how Jesus responds to doubt. And, and I remember the, one of the first times I really looked at this text that we read. For a gospel reading, what immediately struck me and, and really resonated with me is how Jesus handles Thomas. I, I kind of feel sorry for Thomas because, I mean, have you ever said something in, the, in a moment uh, that maybe uh, you felt very strongly about, but then for the rest of your life, that one thing is what m- marked you? Do you know what I mean by this? When you hear the name Thomas, what do you immediately think? He's the doubting one. And I find that really unfortunate because if you can line up the disciples side by side and you think about their ministry with Jesus and their encounters with Jesus, you've got Peter who is always opening his mouth in the wrong ways at the wrong time and questioning Jesus' motives. And are you kidding me? He would question Jesus. One of my favorites is where Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to lay down my life and go the way of death. And, and, and Peter says, May it never be, Lord! And, and may it never happen! And Jesus looks at him, and do you remember that response? Get behind me, Satan. That was not a high point in, in Peter's life. And, and yet Peter often was opening his mouth in, in things that were not of God. Uh, Thomas, you know, we don't have too many evidences of Thomas ever saying the wrong thing in the wrong times. Thomas Followed Christ and, and, and seemed to be the one of the faithful ones, and then this one moment where Jesus reveals himself in the upper room among the disciples and It just so happens that that night thomas isn 't there and, and i 've always wondered what was he doing that evening like Did his wife call him up and say, Honey, I need you to stop at the grocery store, and and if you wouldn't mind, pick up the dry cleaning as well. Or or did he decide to... That was the night he had just signed up for the golf league, and and he was not home and and wasn't there that night. I I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But it's just intriguing to me. He wasn't there. And yet the rest of the disciples were. And and you see the details around this. It, It just... So clear, John says this. They're gathered in the evening of that first day of the week. The disciples were together. The doors were locked. And why are they locked? I grew up in Lester Prairie, Minnesota, population of one thousand and three, depending on the week or the day, and and with whether there's a funeral or a birth in town. And we never locked our doors ever until something changed. And, and down the road out, outside of town, there was a, a violent crime that happened. And it was unsolved. And, and guess what happened? From that day forward, everybody started locking their doors in fear. And, and, and you see this. They locked the doors. And why is that? Because of fear of the Jewish leaders. After all, if they had crucified Jesus and arrested Him... Well, who would be next on their list? It would be those who were closest to him. So they were locking the doors. Even though many of them had seen Jesus in different encounters. You had the road to Emmaus. You had had, uh, that encounter with Jesus early on at at the the graveside there. And and with the women. And and the words and the reports were getting out. Uh, We also know at some point Jesus appeared specifically to Peter. Though we don't have the actual event. We hear, hear it referenced Uh, in in other places, by Paul. And and, and you've you've got this sense that Jesus was showing up in in different contexts. In fact, as Paul would later record it, sometime in those 40 days before his ascension, he would appear to over 500 people at once. And and those who have ever thought, oh, he just appeared to a few people and then they started this rumor, this can be easily explained away. Not so fast. Hundreds and hundreds of people saw Jesus alive following his resurrection. And then we get to this event. The doors are locked. Important detail John gives us. And then it happens. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I love those first words. Peace. Peace. Shalom. Peace. Peace be with you. Because it just said they were living in fear. And one of the answers to fear is peace. A God who comes among his people and says we're not alone. We need not fear peace. I am a God who has conquered even death. And I'm here with you. After he, he said this, what does he do? Look at the text with me for a minute. After he said this, he what? He, you could say, it, showed them his hands inside wait a minute why would he do that I mean we kind of say well Thomas is the doubting one because what does he say Thomas says unless I'm able to put my finger in his hands or in his side I will not believe what has Jesus just done first thing when he walks in the door peace be with you and then what does he do he shows them his wounds. He says, I am who I say I am. Look and see. Touch and see. And believe. And it says they were overjoyed. I, I share this because I think that's an important detail. Jesus just doesn't come in as a, a voice in the room saying, I've been resurrected. He, he doesn't come in some mystical way. No, he appears in flesh, in blood, in his woundedness to show them. To open their eyes to believe. And they were overjoyed, understandingly, when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And I'm going to fast forward a little bit to Thomas's words then too. When Thomas says, uh, also Didymus, and you get the Aramaic and, and the Greek uh, words for his name, both mean twin, so Thomas uh, had a twin most likely, huh? One of the 12, Thomas was not with the disciples when Jesus came, as we touched on. We don't know where he was. And so when the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, and and he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, and put my my hand into his side, I will not believe. And, And from there, Thomas gets this bum rap, doubting Thomas. Why couldn't you just simply believe based on what everybody said? And the interesting thing is, everybody that was saying it had just had the opportunity to do what Thomas just said. And I say that by way of in the church today. May we be very careful When we demean or underplay or overplay those who come forward with doubts or questions about the faith. May we learn from how our Savior Jesus approaches this. And may we learn it personally too. If you're one who comes here today with doubts and questions. Is it true? Is it real? Can it really possibly make a difference in in my day-to-day life or in my marriage or in relationships or or in my job or in my finances or in the brokenness of my life and my grappling and battling with sinfulness in my life? Is this really a reliable parachute of hope and promise in, in a world and in my life, knowing one day my life is going down? How does Jesus reveal himself to Thomas? one thing he doesn't do is show up immediately. I think that's significant. Thomas says, unless I see and touch, and then I'll believe, uh, but not until then. Uh, you know, Jesus doesn't instantly appear and says, here you go, Thomas. doesn't do that. He waits. In fact, he waits a whole week. And, and I'm pretty certain of this. I don't know the chronology exactly telling you this, but... It's so very likely Jesus was appearing to other people during that week. And, and, and meanwhile, Thomas would have been hearing about this and maybe having questions. When's he going to appear to me? I have questions. I have doubts. I have fears. Is it real? Is it true? Jesus could have said, in that case, I'm never going to appear to you, Thomas. It's not what he does. But he does wait a week. And, and what went on in that week? What kind of grappling was going on in, in Thomas waiting for that moment? Until then it happens, one week later. It says, a week later his disciples were in the house again, same place, and Thomas was with them, though the doors were locked, still locked interestingly. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, how dare you not believe in me? How dare you request to see my wounds? Does he do that? He doesn't. I see this gentle smile. I'm just hearing it hearing it. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. This does not seem to be a reprimand from the language that Jesus is speaking here. Unless we reprimand those who have doubts or questions of the faith. Whether we let Satan's lies attack us and say, God would never love us because we have doubts or questions. How does Jesus approach them? He says, touch and see and believe. And Thomas does. My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said. Jesus does say, because you've seen me You believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, and that's awesome. But a lot of people struggle and have questions. Some years ago, earlier in ministry, there was a woman, this is not her name, uh, at another congregation, I'm going to call her Lucy. Lucy came to see me. And that was a long time in coming because she multiple times when she'd run into me and I'd see her in town or at the grocery store or once in a while maybe a couple times a year she'd come to church and and almost every time she would pull me aside and say, Pastor, sometime I want to talk to you. I, I have some really, really difficult questions and doubts about faith and, and life that I'd like to talk to you about and i like to make an appointment sometime. I said, that would be great. Um, feel free to reach out. Tell me when it's good and and the sense I always had was, this was going to be on her terms. And, and so every time I said, anytime, please let me know. And, and you know, months went by, and, and she didn't make that appointment. And every time I'd say, she's like, I really mean, I, I've been busy. I really, I really will be making that appointment. I'm like, anytime, anytime, Lucy. And uh, finally, that day came where she reached out. And uh, somebody might say, well, why didn't you reach out to her? My sense was, this was something she needed to do. Just, I had that peace about that. And finally she made that appointment and sat down in my office and, and she reached in her purse and she got out what looked like about five pages worth of notes. And she says, I have some questions. And I said, go ahead, share them with me. She started to read one question after another. All the things she had doubts or questions or she was skeptical about concerning our Christian faith. And, and uh, I didn't interject I could have had many times because I'm hearing this, but, I'm like, but I want to say something. I'm like, Be slow to speak, quick to listen. This was a time just to listen. And at times it almost felt like a reprimand, but I realized it wasn't really me. She was grappling with it. it was the faith and, and our faith in Christ and, and just one thing after another. And, and she rattled them off and I, I think after 30 minutes, she finally finished. And she says, so what do you have to say about all of that? And I said, oh, well, first of all, the first thing I said to her was, thank you for being honest. I said, you know that a lot of people uh, go to church even every weekend and and a lot of times they have a lot of questions like these, but they're afraid to bring them up. And and I said, thank you for being honest with me that you are having these questions and these doubts and these fears. Uh, So I encouraged her. And I said, but I also want you to know you have more questions here than than we have time even in this week. A lot of this is going to take some time. But we, we covered a few of them really quickly. But, but my bigger question to her that day was, I said, do you know that, that God reveals himself to people who have questions? She says, well, I've been asking questions. He doesn't seem anywhere near me. I just I doubt whether I even have faith anymore. And, and we actually turned to this text. I said, I want you to see how Jesus dealt with Thomas. And it, it might be that you're a Thomas. It can resonate to that. And I told her a little bit of my story when I shared with you. I, I was one who had a lot of questions too. Jesus doesn't turn him away. Jesus doesn't say you have no right to be in the room. Jesus doesn't say, then you're not going to be in the faith, Thomas. No, Jesus says, look and see and touch and believe. What would that look like for you? She says, well, I don't even know. I don't know where to turn. I just have all these doubts and questions. And, and, I, and I said, let me ask you. Lucy, I haven't seen you really in any Bible class or I don't know if you're in any of our small groups or do you, maybe you read scripture a lot on your own. Is, is that a big part of your life? She says, well, I, I don't have time for that. And I said, okay. Well, I said, I, I got to be honest, like, I don't know. Do, do you come to church a lot or is, we have a big church? I mean, maybe I'm just not seeing you. She says, no, I, I really don't really make time for that very often. And I said, huh. Do you think that it's possible that might be related? That a God who says, I'm going to reveal myself through my word. And it was an opportunity to teach. That this is more than going through the motions. It's it's about, like Christ says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not just know about from a distance, but to truly spend time in his presence. And I said, God's word is. Is the presence of God. He speaks to us there. He builds up our faith. He strengthens us there. He meets with us to remind us we're not alone in these questions. She's like, you know what? I've kind of been neglecting that. Now fast forward several months. Every time I kept seeing her, she started coming to worship regularly. She started getting in a Bible class. She joined up for a small group. And she started showing up. And every time I'd see her, that frown had turned to a smile. And she says, you know what, Pastor? i got to tell you. God is answering my questions. And He's replacing my doubts and my questions and my fears with faith and that joy factor. She says, I've got it. I get it now. You know what was amazing in the years that would follow is after that when someone would come to me with similar questions, guess who I'd tell them to go see? I'd tell them, Go see Lucy. And I'd call her up, say, Lucy, I got another one for you. She's like, let me at them. I'd love to share. And and she did. God can do anything. And we spend time in his presence today in a God who invites us to see and believe in his presence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who isn't handing out backpacks on a plane that's going down, but rather you are a God of hope and promise and certainty today. Yet we are people in this broken, fallen world who often have doubts and fears and questions. But thank you for welcoming us like you did for Thomas to touch and to see and believe. Lord, open our eyes. Open our schedules. Open our awareness of the resources that you have provided for us to know you in your presence through your word, through the gift of your sacrament and time in worship where brothers and sisters gather together where you tell us where two or more are gathered. You are present. You are there. Show us your resurrection. We want to know Christ and the power of that resurrection, Lord, in all aspects of our lives. So help us overcome our unbelief and our doubts through faith in you. And here God who gives it powerfully through your spirit. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.